Hey, good, good evening or good day, wherever this finds you, whenever it finds you. I am so glad that you have joined with us for this time together virtually. Tonight we continue our series in the book of Romans and it actually concludes our series and I personally have benefited from the rich, the riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this amazing letter to the church at Rome and as Shelley mentioned tonight our focus is on the subject of worship. You know worship has been in the news a lot lately. It sounds like a pastor's dream, right? It's, I could just hear a pastor saying to his spouse, they're talking about worship on the news, honey. It's on CNN and all the, the major networks. Isn't this amazing? Well, maybe not so amazing. What has been in the news is about how people feel like their civil liberties are being squashed when government leaders are telling them to stay home due to COVID concerns. People are talking about not being able to go and worship and that they can't really worship at home and how dare someone take away my right to worship. Just yesterday I read this quote from a pastor in California and he said this, as a church, we have a moral and religious obligation to continue allowing our congregants to gather in our sanctuary to worship the Lord. Our leaders and congregations see no real health threat to warrant such restraint. Now, I might add, California the past month has been one of the states that has unfortunately seen a big surge in cases and deaths, yet... They don't see real, a real health threat to warrant such restraint. We see this action against us as an illegitimate misuse of power. That has been what's been in the news with regard to worship. Some pastors defying authority, having public gatherings regardless of what scientists in the medical community are saying. Personally, I feel what a poor example to members of the congregation and what a poor witness to the world that is watching. The world is always watching the church, by the way. I personally shake my head and wonder if they even understand what worship is. If we can only do it at a certain place in a certain time. Now, I'm the first to admit that worshiping at home is not the same as worshiping together in one place. I love singing praise to God with my brothers and sisters. I love rehearsing the great truths of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ in song. I love the presence of the Lord when we gather together in one place. It's not the same at home. And as much as we want the live stream experience, to be the same, we know it's not. So what do we do with this thing called worship? It's been a topic of conversation literally for thousands of years, going all the way back to Adam and Eve and their two sons, Cain and Abel. Many of you know who they are. One worships in a manner that pleases God and the other doesn't. Now, like all history, we can learn from this example of what went wrong and what went right. 
In sum, what went right was acceptable worship to God that Abel offered because he offered his very best. But we might do well to consider what worship is and what it isn't. And that brings us to our first of three points tonight. The first is this, the myth of worship. The myth of worship. If you look at Abel's worship, it wasn't a song. The myth of worship today is that worship is the musical portion of a worship gathering. It's the time when everybody sings. We worship and then we do other things like pray, preach, give in the offering. Remember when we used to do that in church when, when the plates or the baskets would be passed around? It seems archaic at this point, doesn't it? with online giving, but it was a thing for a long, long time. I served as music pastor for over 25 years in various churches. During those years, I heard many opinions about what music in the church should be. I learned quickly that everyone seems to have a, an opinion about music. Some like it, some don't. Some like it, but there's a caveat, and when... When they would say, you know, I like this, but, I mean, it's like they got my attention. It's like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like what's coming next. Sing more of this, sing less of that. It's too loud, it's too soft, it's too peppy, it's too sleepy, it's too traditional, it's too modern. You get the idea. You're like, poor, poor Randall, right? Poor, poor me. Well, I finally realized I didn't care what anybody opined about music in the church, I simply wanted to know what the Bible said about worship. That led me to seminary where I joined a cohort that studied biblical worship. What I learned is that there are two primary definitions for worship in scripture. These two definitions are consistent in the Old Testament, the New, in the Hebrew, in the Greek, from Genesis to Revelation. One definition of worship is this, to serve or service rendered to God. An example is Psalm 100 verse 2, which some English translations render, worship the Lord with gladness. Other translations, still accurate, give us serve the Lord with gladness. You see, both words, worship and serve, are used interchangeably in many verses in the Bible. We're actually going to revisit this in tonight's text from Romans chapter 12. So the first understanding of worship in scripture, what it means is to serve God, service rendered to the Lord. The second definition of worship is based on the most frequently used word for worship in the whole of the Greek Bible, and that is the word proskuneo. Also, you'll see it as proskenine and other variations for all the Greek scholars out there. Proskuneo simply means to bow down or to fall down in homage to royalty. An example of this is heavenly worship in Revelation chapter 4, verse 10. To worship or to bow down, to fall down in humble adoration of deity. Now, music can fit both definitions, and music in the church should fit both definitions. 
We should offer music as service rendered to God. We should offer music with an attitude of reverence and awe and bowing down in our spirit, whether we're doing it physically or not. However, there are many ways to serve and reverence God apart from music. And there are many ways to serve and reverence God apart from Sunday, say at 10 o'clock, or as in our case, Thursday at 7 o'clock. Service rendered to God. That's why we at Anchor, we understand that if you're on the hospitality first impressions team or you're working in Anchor Kids or you are a musician or you're doing various things in the church with service rendered to God, then really you're on the worship team. And that's why we call our musicians the music team. It would be a contradiction of the biblical definition of worship to call them the worship team. That would, that would intimate that other people that are serving in the church are not a part of the worship team. So let's just dispel the myth of worship as being confined to music from a biblical definition. But why would a person be compelled to worship someone they cannot see? I think that's a valid question. And if you thought of that, thanks for feeding that to me. When it comes to adoration, everyone adores something or someone. When it comes to worship, everyone worships. Even Bob Dylan, that great theologian, brought to us the fact that everyone serves somebody. In fact, he recorded a song several years ago that just pounded in the lyric repeating it over and over, you gotta serve somebody, everybody serves somebody. People worship sports teams. By the way, for us Bruin fans, boy, last night was just excruciatingly painful. We, we need to pray for the Bruins. But some people worship sports teams, cars, money, boats, power, fame, actors, composers, musicians, even, believe it or not, politicians. So if there are so many visible options to worship, why then, again, we ask the question, would a person be compelled to worship something or someone they cannot see? Why would a person choose to serve a God that they have never seen? Again, a valid question, which brings us to tonight's text. It's time to read it together. Romans 12, starting at verse one. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The word of the Lord. So we've dispelled the myth of worship, it's much more than music, but now to answer that question, we want to try to establish with you in this moment the reason for worship. 
the reason. Straight away, Paul gives a reason for worship. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer. Now, he begins with the word therefore, indicating we need to take a look at what preceded Romans chapter 12 to get the correct context for what is going to follow. So in Romans 11, starting at verse 28, Paul speaks to the Roman Gentiles about how the gospel came to them. And he talks about how at least some of the Jewish people rejected Jesus as the Messiah, and it opened up the good news to all of mankind, including the Gentiles. And then he goes on to talk a lot about mercy. In fact, there's two references uh, to mercy which is forgiveness, compassion, undeserved forgiveness. And he talks about how wonderful mercy is that has been given to the Gentiles. Talks about the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. And then he concludes with an amazing summary verse in Romans eleven thirty six, And I just love this verse. Talk about the totality of God and the sufficiency of God. Listen to this, friends. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. From him, through him, and to him are all things. Everything needed for life, everything needed in, in our world is found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So then chapter 12 begins, Paul says, in view of God's mercy, because God has opened up forgiveness and made relationship with him possible, here is what followers of Christ are to do. Here's how we are to respond. And one of the things I learned in seminary is that worship is a response to the revelation of God. And here we see that worship is a response to the revelation and experience of mercy in our lives. So what is it that followers of Christ should do in view of the mercy of God? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You know, Paul wrote about the theme of mercy a number of times in his letters, and rightfully so. If you know much about the story of, of Paul, uh, you know that uh, he was very much a scholar, a Jewish scholar, and he initially rejected Jesus as the Messiah, and uh, he was on a crusade at one point of his life to chase down, arrest, imprison, and sometimes approve of the murder of Christians. This is the Apostle Paul before mercy came into his life. And so he knows firsthand what it's like to be overwhelmed by the compassion, the forgiveness, the mercy of God. And so he writes, don't just offer your music, but offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Now, to offer your bodies simply means to offer your whole self. 
N.T. Wright says it like this, the complete person seen from one point of view, the point of view in which the human being lives as a physical object while in space and time. So what Paul is saying, he's not talking about offering your skin and bones, your physical body. He's, he says, offer the totality of who you are. Your complete person is what you are to offer to God. That's in light of the mercy of God. Pleasing to God. And by the way, holy and pleasing to God are two related words. If you're living a holy life, it will be pleasing to God. This is the true and proper worship. Some translations say this is your acceptable worship or this is your reasonable worship or your spiritual worship. I hope you're tracking with me to see how worship must exceed music. In fact, just by definition, the Greek word for worship here in this verse is latreia, which literally means service rendered to God. The word preceding latreia is the word logikos, which is a word that would have been very familiar with the Romans. It's the base word in the English language for logic. In other words, Paul is saying this is your logical worship to give the totality of who you are to the one who rescued you, the one who saved you, the one that pulled you out of that slimy pit that we read about earlier and set your feet on a solid foundation. It's logical that you would commit your service, your life as worship to the Lord. In the time of Aristotle, the word logikos was a favorite of philosophers such as Philo and Justin. It carries the idea of being carefully thought through or thoughtful. Epictetus came up with this statement that became rather famous and has been handed down to generations. This statement is this, if indeed I were a nightingale, I should be singing as a nightingale. If a, sw a swan, then as a swan. But as it is, I am logikos. I am rational. I'm a rational being. Therefore, I must be singing hymns of praise to God, and I exhort you to join me in this song. As a rational being, as a logical being, we must sing, we must worship, we must serve our God. So spiritual worship equals thoughtful, logical service. Worship, you see, is really how we live for God. Paul is saying your spiritual worship should be thoughtful, contemplative, logical. It's how you are to sing your song, play your music, yes, but more importantly, it's how we are as Christ followers to live our lives thoughtfully, carefully, logically for the glory of God. This is a truth that we as Christ followers do well to keep before us because it's not enough just occasionally to be reminded and occasionally to kind of go back to Romans 12, but we need a, a constant renewing of this idea and of this really desire that we would live as worship in a thoughtful way to God. 
Thus the need for renewal. Renewal. Now I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior when I was seven. And it's countless times, many, it's like the, uh, the, the specks of sand on the ocean beach uh, or the ocean floor, the, the number of times that I have needed renewal from age seven to where I am now. And I know as in the future in my life, I'm going to need more experiences of renewal in my worship. That's a challenge for all of us, especially in the season like that we're living in now. 2020 with COVID-19, the exposure to ongoing racial injustice that continues to shock us and disappoint us deeply. And the fact that we are alone much more than we are together. How can we keep worship vibrant, whether it's our song or even more importantly, our very life? Romans 12 verse 2 gives us the keys. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Good and pleasing, that's what we want our worship to be to God. Good and pleasing. So do not conform, Paul is saying. And again, the context is about our logical worship. J.P. Phillips put it this way, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. To conform, what does it mean to conform? It means to be guided by. Paul is saying, don't let the world set your compass. Don't let the world guide your thoughts, direct your path. A follower of Christ will rather seek transformation of their mind continually affected by God. I don't know about you, but I need transformation often. Renewal deeply. In an age of unprecedented uncertainty, how can we move forward? Will the answer come to all of our solution or all of our needs? Will the solution come November 3rd? Which happens to be my birthday, by the way. So go vote and send me a birthday card. There you go. Is that gonna be is that gonna set everything right? Does history tell us that? What do we do? How do we move forward? Say, so, well, you know, I wish we'd just go back to what the normal was. And, but if we take a moment and say, okay, what was, what was the normal before March? Like, we still had problems in February and January in 2019. <laughs> because it's life. We're going to have challenges. So the answer is not to go back. The answer is to go forward with Jesus. The result of renewing of our mind will be the ability to discern, test, to see what pleases God. And our worship will be more passionate and fresh. So let's bring this plane in for a landing right now. Let's look at the application. First of all, I believe it begins with your view of God's mercy. Because in view of God's mercy, Paul says, or in light of God's mercy, this is what you do. And if you, don't have a, if you haven't received the mercy of God, welcome that into your life. If you don't appreciate the mercy of God, you're not gonna be a worshiper of God. You won't get past 
you know, chapter 11. You won't make it into chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 if you don't have your life rocked by the mercy of God. If a person doesn't feel they need mercy, which is undeserved forgiveness and compassion, they're not going to be a worshiper of God, as I said. An appreciation of mercy fuels our worship. So I ask you right now, and just imagine you and I are just having a a one-on-one at the coolest coffee shop in your neighborhood, okay? And I'd love to be there, actually do that with you. I ask you, though, this question. Have you received the mercy of God? No, I'm not talking about common mercy, common kindness and compassion. I'm talking about in your life, have you received, have you welcomed the mercy of God into your life? If so, are you freshly overwhelmed by it right now? Have you been taking it for granted, perhaps, in your life? It's easy to do, to become callous to it. The busyness of our days, the stress, the anxiety of our days, and and we don't think a lot about what God has done, how he's rescued us, how he has set our feet on a rock. So maybe this is just an invitation to think about the mercy of God in your life and to start praising him for it, thanking him for it, and gaining a fresh perspective of where would we be without the mercy of God if we got what we deserved. Wow. Do you need mercy from God? Maybe the first time in your life you've thought about this. Maybe you just happened to catch this. Somebody shared a feed with you and you happened to be watching this. Identifying your need to be forgiven is where it all begins. Then you can reach out to a compassionate God who will forgive you and welcome you into his family. You know, I'd love to be worshiping together here again. In fact, we are planning to do that. Mark your calendars, October 1st. We are planning to gather back again safely, but to come and worship together. And I look forward to that night. And if at all possible, I hope you can join us. But in reality, worship is the life we live as service rendered to God in humility and thankfulness. We can worship at home. We can worship in our work. We can worship in our recreation. After all, it's the logical response to the mercy of God, the undeserved kindness and compassion and forgiveness that we have received. In closing, I'd like to leave you with just the final refrain of one of the most beautiful hymns that has ever been written for the church. It's the hymn that Isaac Watts and Lowell Mason wrote called When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And I leave you with this today. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's pray together.